0: welcome to Calvary. Uh, it's great to be here with you guys tonight. It's a very important celebration that we have tonight. Uh, as we gather together, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was some nearly 2,000 years ago that Jesus Christ defeated sin and death. He overcame the grave. He rose from the, day, uh, from the dead. Uh, the day of Jesus' resurrection is, I believe, the most important day in all of history uh, that we are remembering tonight. No day has had a greater impact upon this world than this one, and it is certainly a day worth celebrating and a day worth remembering. So I'm glad that you guys have chosen to come out tonight to celebrate and remember uh, the resurrection. Well, Uh, This has been a busy week for us Uh, thus far. We've had some great times of worship and fellowship as we remember and we celebrate the work of the cross and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Uh, It all started last week with a special Palm Sunday message as we looked at Jesus's triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. As Jesus entered the city, the people wondered, who is this? Uh, And we noted in our study how the people, they should have known exactly who this was. Uh, Jesus was being very bold in declaring exactly who he was. He was the promised king to come. He was uh, the anointed one, their Messiah, the very son of God. And yet, despite everything that screamed out, this is a king and, and this is your king, Some still were left wondering. Some still did not properly identify who Jesus was. Then on Wednesday uh, evening, uh, we had a very special time of fellowship and worship. We had a great uh, curry dinner that kind of kicked it off. And then we had a night filled with praise and worship as Pastor Nick uh, led us all in song. On Friday, uh, just last night, we gathered for our Good Friday service where we quickly reviewed the days after Palm Sunday leading up to the crucifixion, and we focused upon Mark's account of some of the eyewitness testimonies of those who were part of that fateful day that our Savior was crucified for the sins of the world. And we remembered his crucifixion, uh, his broken body, his blood that was shed for us and the new covenant that He established through His blood, it was a special night for sure. Uh, partaking of communion together, Jesus Christ, He died upon the cross a little after three o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. He was laid in a tomb by a name by a man named Joseph of Arimathea, himself a, a secret disciple that finally took courage and made a bold stand for his faith in Jesus Christ, going to the uh, authorities and requesting the body of Jesus that he might give Jesus a proper burial. Well, tonight, we're going to continue in Mark's account as we take a look at some of the events that transpired early that Sunday morning in a message that I've simply entitled, He is risen. Okay, He is risen risen. So go ahead, open up your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, a number of the chairs have Bibles underneath them. Feel free to reach down and grab one of those, borrow them. Um, Mark chapter 16, as you make your way uh, there, I want to go ahead and invite you to rise to your feet in honor of the Lord and his word. Uh, I'm going to read from my Bible, uh, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the New King James version of the Bible. If you have a different translation, I want to encourage you, do your best to follow along. Okay, Mark uh, writing this gospel account, continuing just the details of what took place um, there on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Uh, he writes the following in Mark chapter 16 verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, that he's going before you into Galilee, there you will see him as he said to you and so they went out quickly and were uh, uh, went out quickly and fled from the tomb for they trembled and were amazed and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid We'll stop right there and ask God just to bless our time this evening Lord we thank you for this opportunity just to remind ourselves of what took place uh that first day of the week, after the Sabbath, the day which you rose from the grave, Lord, I pray that you would just be with us and that you'd minister to our hearts. Lord, as we've opened up your Bible, I pray that in like manner, Lord, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be open, that our, even our eyes would be open to see, to hear, to know uh, all that your spirit desires to say to us. Lord, that we might leave this place having heard from you and having been encouraged, perhaps uh, just strengthened, Lord, uh, maybe even challenged, if that's what needs be. Lord, we submit ourselves we submit our time to you, asking for your will to be done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. On uh, Friday night, at our Good Friday service last night, we looked at a number of people who were there to witness the passion of the Christ, the suffering that Jesus endured previous to and, and during his time upon the cross. And we noted how there was mentioned a couple different times this group of women. And I told you uh, last night that we would make observations about them during our study today. So I want to make good on that promise. Just as the other people testified of something, these women testify of something as well in their actions. And really, very simply, we note that they testify of their great love for the Lord. This group of ladies, which here are listed as Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, other gospel accounts let us know that there were still others, but Mark only speaks of these three by name. They had gathered together with the purpose of coming and anointing Jesus' dead body with various spices and perfumes. You see, it was part of the custom of that day to carefully wrap and anoint uh, the bodies of the deceased before placing them within the tombs. Oftentimes, this would be done by close family members, by loved ones. Um, It truly was an act of love to wrap and and anoint the body of a loved one. It was a, a labor of love. It was a way of showing last respects to someone. And though Jesus had already been wrapped and anointed by Joseph of Arimathea, these ladies desired to go and anoint his body in their own special and meaningful way. We were told in last Uh, in the last verse of the previous chapter, chapter 15, verse 47, that this group of ladies, they had witnessed where Joseph of Arimathea had laid the body of Jesus. And so it's very likely that they would have seen the body, how it had already been wrapped in linens before being placed in the tomb. But for some reason, they desired to go and to anoint the body for themselves as well. We don't know exactly why we could speculate. Perhaps the fact that Joseph of Arimathea is recorded as a secret disciple of Jesus in John chapter 19 verse 38. Made the ladies wonder if Joseph really took the time to give Jesus a proper and fitting burial. Uh, Perhaps they didn't know of Joseph's secret following of the Lord, and so it would be natural for them to wonder at the type of care and devotion that Joseph would have given to the wrapping of the body of Jesus. And so these ladies, with their spices, their oils, they're coming to perform one final act of love unto their master. You know, it's interesting to me that these ladies, uh, according to Mark chapter 15, verses 40 and 41 They were there looking on from afar during the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and were told that they had followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee. And they were part of a larger group of women who had come up with him to Jerusalem as well. And so these ladies, they were followers of Christ. They followed him when he ministered up north in the region of Galilee. They followed him when he went south, when he went to the city of Jerusalem it seems that wherever Jesus went, this group of women were not too far behind. And verse 41 tells us that they ministered to him. They served him. They waited upon him, for that's what the word ministered actually means. It means to serve someone or to help someone. It can speak of a simple things like serving a meal to someone, or it can speak to greater things like taking care of one who's sick or ill. And we gather then that these ladies, they did whatever they could to be a blessing to their master. And as we consider their example, I think we should not be surprised at all by their actions. For Jesus said that this is what would happen. Jesus said to his disciples, he said this in John chapter 13, verse 35, he said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. These ladies were true followers of Christ. They were disciples of Christ. And in their act of love, they show their devotion to be true. And I believe that the same applies to us. You see, Jesus wasn't just speaking to the disciples of his day, but to all disciples that would come afterwards as well. Listen up, the world around us He should be able to identify us as followers of Christ, as his disciples, based upon the love that we show one to another. Not based upon the bumper stickers that we have on our cars okay, or the t-shirts that we wear or the lingo that we use, our Christian catchphrases, our, our Christianese. I don't know if you ever used Christianese before. Uh, it's a legitimate language, evidently. okay. Uh, but Not based upon any of those things. Not based upon the fact that you go to church on a regular basis. That's not what's going to identify us. That's not what Jesus said. That's what's going to stand out and make everybody around you know that person's a believer. But the world will know, or at least the world should know, that you are his by the love that you show to one another. And as we celebrate our resurrected Lord tonight, let us be reminded of the love of, that these ladies showed and the love that the Lord asked us to show to the world around us. Verse 2, take a look at verse 2. Again, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, Very early in the morning, On the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? This verse gives us some important information regarding the timing of the resurrection. It says that they came on the first day of the week. Okay, we're going to camp here for a little bit. Verse 1 tells us it was after the Sabbath was passed, and this is significant. So, The day of the resurrection was on a Sunday, the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, and this was important because it actually landed on a very important feast day for the Jewish people. The Lord had given to the Jewish nation seven different feasts to observe throughout the year. They were told specific dates to observe these feasts, and each one highlighted a different significance. The first three feasts actually happened within a week from one another in the Jewish month of Nisan, the first month of the year for them. The first year, or the, excuse me, the first feast of the year was the feast of Passover. Okay? It was to happen, according to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 5, on the 14th day of the first month at twilight. Okay? Of course, Passover was used to commemorate God's Passing over of the Jewish households during the tenth and final plague during their time of slavery in Egypt. God went throughout the land and he took the life of the firstborn of every household, unless there was the blood of a lamb painted across the two doorposts and the lintel of their household. If the blood was there, the Lord would pass over that household and go to the next. Thus the feast of Passover. Commemorated God's final plague that led to the release of their bondage in Egypt. Well, the second feast was a week long feast that was to begin the day after the Passover. It's known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread would remind the nation of their very quick exit from Egypt, how they didn't have time to let their bread rise, and so they made bread without leaven. And Within the Bible, we know that leaven is symbolic or picturesque of sin. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there was to be no leaven in the entire household. It pictures for us a life without sin. Interestingly enough, Jesus is referred to as our Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And Paul speaks of how his sacrifice, it makes us unleavened, symbolically speaking of how we have been cleansed from our sin. There is an interesting correlation between some of the events of Jesus' life and the Jewish feast. Jesus is referenced as our Passover lamb. When we apply the blood of Christ to the doorpost and the lintels of our hearts, we are passed over from having to pay the penalty of our sin, which according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, is death. And as a result of Jesus' sacrifice and our subsequent faith in Him, we now walk through life without sin, a fulfilling of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which required the removal of all leaven from the household. Again, a picture of sin. The third feast... On the Jewish calendar is called the Feast of First Fruits. And according to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 11, it was to occur on the very first day, after the Sabbath, during the week-long observance of unleavened bread. And so whatever day of the week, the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread started on, whether it was on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Friday, the Feast of First Fruits would happen the day after the Sabbath of that week. Remember that the Sabbath for the Jews is on Saturday. So it would happen the very next day after Saturday, Sunday. And so if the Feast of Unleavened Bread began on, uh let's just say Friday because it fits our uh, account, um, then the next day would be Saturday, the Sabbath. And then the following day would be the first day after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, it would mark the Feast of First Fruits. Are you guys tracking with me here? Okay. So the fact that here in Mark's gospel, he tells us that this was the first day of the week and the Sabbath was passed indicates to us that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the very day that marked the celebration of the Feast of First Fruits you might be wondering, is that important, okay, or is that significant? Yes, it is, because Paul tells us that Christ's resurrection from the dead has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which is a euphemism for those who have died. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20 tells us that. To better understand the fulfillment of this feast, we need to understand what the feast was all about in the first place. Again, Leviticus 23, it gives us the details Leviticus 23, 10 and 11 exhorts us, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Basically, what God was saying to his people was this. He's saying, it might paraphrase, okay, if you will. I'm bringing you into an exceptionally fertile land, and I would like you to acknowledge that fact. Each spring, when the first harvest of the year is available, the people should bring some of their initial crops to the temple so that the high priest can acknowledge them before me. And this was to be done on the Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, during the week of unleavened bread. Zola Levitt, a, a prominent Jewish evangelical, he wrote in regards to this ful- fulfillment of the Feast of First Fruits on the day of Jesus' resurrection. He declared this Thus it happens so early in the Bible that God honors Resurrection Sunday, the Sunday after Passover, as representing particularly the things that come up out of the ground spontaneously and miraculously after the long dead winter. You see, our celebration today is a celebration of the fulfillment of this third feast. Jesus Christ came up out of the ground. He rose from the grave and he defeated death. The name of this feast is important as well. Again, Mr. Levitt, he writes, "If there are first fruits, then there must be a second, a third, and so on, and that is the true meaning of this day. We do not merely celebrate the resurrection of the Lord on first fruits but more so we res, uh, celebrate the resurrection of the entire church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 22 and 23 asserts for as in Adam all die even so in Christ all shall be made alive but each one in his own order Christ the first fruits afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. You see, our celebration of this particular day is not just a celebration of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, but is a celebration of the fact that we too, as believers, will also one day rise to everlasting life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the first fruits of those who would rise from the dead and live for eternity. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know your Bible, and you're thinking to yourself, Jesus Christ wasn't the first person to rise from the dead. Weren't there other people who were raised from the dead before him? And I would say yes. The answer to that question is yes. There were others who were raised from the dead before Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself, on a couple of different occasions, brought people back to life. However, each of those people would go on to die once more. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of those who will rise to life never again to taste death. And we too, when we rise in Christ, will rise to eternal life, never to taste death again. And that's part of what we are celebrating today. Not only did Jesus Christ rise to eternal life, but one day we too will rise to eternal life. We celebrate and rejoice in that fact today. Now, Interestingly enough, the next Jewish feast—I said there were seven. If you remember, that's the first four, uh, three. Uh, the next Jewish feast on the calendar after the first feast of first fruits is the feast of Pentecost, which occurred 50 days after the feast of first fruits. Of course, we know that the feast of Pentecost was the day Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit upon his followers, and so we see a fulfillment of even that feast. So. First feast fulfilled, second feast fulfilled, third feast fulfilled, fourth feast fulfilled. The next Jewish feast actually doesn't happen till later on in the year. It doesn't happen until the fall. And so the first four, they all happen early on during the spring. And then the next three feasts, they happen later on in the year in the fall. There's a season of time in between the first four feasts and the last three feasts. There's a gap of time. The fifth feast is the one that's called the Feast of Trumpets. Interestingly enough, there doesn't seem to be any picture of Christ fulfilling this fifth feast as of yet. The Feast of Trumpets, it marked the signal for the field workers to come into the temple. The high priest actually would blow the trumpet so that the faithful would stop harvesting and they would come in to worship. I find it more than coincidental that 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of a mystery that I believe is referring to the rapture that corresponds with a trumpet call. Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. In the book of First Thessalonians, Paul writes, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. I'm not one to set dates or anything like that, <laughs> but it sure wouldn't surprise me Should the Lord call us home in the rapture during the Feast of Trumpets, okay, as a fulfillment of that feast? It's definitely interesting to ponder. I would also encourage you, if this interests you, look into all seven of the Jewish feasts and the possible fulfillments that could come as a result of the events in Jesus' life. The other two feasts, they're the Day of Atonement, and the last one is called the Feast of Tabernacles. They're very interesting to consider in their possible application to the life of Jesus Christ, not only the life that he lived when he first came, but particularly pertaining to his second coming and what will happen at that time. Very exciting. Well, for us, we need to move on. We need to get back to our text. Let's take a look at verse 3 and 4. It says, And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. We'll stop right there, okay? Um, the women, as they made their way to the tomb, they were worried about how they would be able to move the stone from the door of the tomb. And the text tells us it was a large stone. And the ladies worried, and they wondered, how in the world did they were going to be able to open it? They talked about it on the way with one another, and they wondered, who's going to roll away the stone for us? And yet upon their arrival, they came to find that the stone had already been rolled away. They worried and talked about their big problem, this large stone, and how they were going to overcome it, how they would be able to get past it. And when they arrived, they realized that all of their worrying, all of their fretting, it was good for nothing. Their big problem had already been taken care of. You see, we're not told in Mark's gospel, but in Matthew's account, we're told that an angel had come and rolled back the stone. Matthew 28, verse 2 tells us that. You know, as we consider these ladies this morning, I think God would have us learn from the lesson that they learned. Listen, don't worry, okay? Trust in God. Trust in his care for you, for me, for us. This is a lesson that Jesus tried to instill into all of his followers. I want you real quick Turn with me just to the next book to the left, in the book of Matthew chapter 6. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, I want to read there. I, I think I'm going to have it, I think we have it up on the TV, but it's kind of a bigger portion of scripture, so if you want to read from the text, you can. In Matthew chapter 6, I want to read to you what Jesus had to say about the topic of worrying. Verse 25, it says, Therefore I say to you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, the problem with worrying is a lack of faith. Jesus spoke these words during his sermon on the mount to the multitudes who followed him. He said not to worry about our life, what we'll eat, what we'll drink, or where. And he says it so for a couple of reasons. One, because God loves you. And he's going to take care of you, just like he does the rest of his creation. And two, because all of our worrying amounts to nothing. Worrying doesn't change things. He said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? The obvious answer is nobody. Nobody can change things simply by worrying about them. Jesus gave a hint as to the source of our worry. He referred to those that worry as you of little faith. You see, at the root of our worry is a lack of faith. We don't trust God, and so we worry about things. We worry about all sorts of things, our jobs, our family, our finances, our futures, our potential failures, the rain, um, if I'm just being honest, okay, and and all that worrying really is a sign of a bigger, deeper issue, a sign of a lack of faith in God just to take care of us. Good thing for us, Jesus, he shares the remedy for worry in the following verses. Look at verses 31 as it continues. He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus said, don't worry. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You see, if we would simply trust in God and seek his face and his will, his kingdom, his righteousness, God's promises that God promises that he will take care of us, that he will provide for us, that he will be there to see us through even the most difficult of circumstances. This is a promise of God. And so stop worrying, okay? Trust in the Lord, seek him first, and he will take care of you. Turn back to the book of Mark. We'll continue in our text, Mark chapter 16 verse 5 it says in entering the tomb they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed but he said to them do not be alarmed you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified he is risen he's not here see the place where they laid him the ladies they entered the tomb and to their surprise and fright they saw a young man there clothed in white The other gospel accounts inform us that this man was in fact an angel and that there was another angel there along with this one that Mark mentions. The angel tried to calm the ladies, declaring, Do not be alarmed! You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Listen, He is risen. He is not here. What a glorious proclamation this angel declared. He is risen. He is not here. And that is what we celebrate today. We celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is risen. He is not in the tomb, but is sat down at the right hand of the Father, as verse 19 proclaims at the end of our chapter. He is at the right hand of God, and the scriptures tell us that he is interceding on our behalf to the Father, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Isn't that awesome? We worship a risen Savior. He's not in the tomb. He is with the Father, preparing a place for us, according to John chapter 14, verse 2. And think about this, okay? Since we know that he's preparing a place for us, we also know that he will come again to receive us. That's what John 14, 3 says. And I want to tell you something. There is a glorious future that awaits us all. God made the heavens and all of the earth in six days. But he's been working on our place in heaven for nearly 2,000 years, okay? It's going to be incredible. Verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The angel gave to the ladies a message that they were to declare to Jesus' disciples that he was going before them and would appear to them in Galilee. And the ladies are seen, leaving the scene of the empty tomb quickly, promptly, with amazement and still a little bit of fear racing to the disciples to deliver the message of their risen Savior. These ladies, they leave us with a very important example for us to follow. You see, just as these ladies were instructed to deliver the message of, of the risen Savior, we too have been given this charge. As we celebrate the resurrection, let us be reminded once again of that charge. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, We have all been commissioned in the Lord's army to go and make disciples, to baptize people, to teach people of all the things God has commanded. And yet so many seem to relegate these sorts of things. Well, that's the job of the pastor. That's the jobs of the missionaries or the church leaders thinking that it's not their responsibility. Listen, we've all been commissioned. Okay? Many treat the great commission as if it were the great omission or it is the great, su- great suggestion, okay? There are many in the church today that fail to follow through. They've been given a message that needs to be shared with people. They've been commissioned. They've been given a charge and an order, a command, and yet they seem AWOL. This Resurrection Sunday is a day of celebration, no doubt. But let it also be a reminder of the great commission that we've all received to go and to spread the message of a risen Savior. He is alive. Amen? Amen. Well, as I mentioned, today is uh, a day of celebration. Every day we celebrate the resurrection, um, a day in which we are reminded of the great love that we should have for one another as disciples of Christ. A day in which we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of those who will rise to everlasting life. His resurrection on that first day of the week after the Sabbath was a fulfillment of the Feast of first fruits. It was a picture of what lies ahead for us and our future resurrection with him. Today we were also encouraged to learn from the lesson that the women received regarding worrying. They were so worried about that big rock, but God had already taken care of the issue. God doesn't want us to worry, but rather to seek Him first and trust in Him to take care of us. Today we also celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is risen and He is situated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, preparing a place for us. And lastly, we were reminded of the great message God has for us to deliver to the world around us. May we be bold in doing so. May we move forward in the strength that God provides. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for just this day of celebration, this day of all that it means to us. Lord, it is the greatest day I believe in history. The impact the resurrection has had upon history is unfathomable. And so Lord, we just are are reminded of that work. We're reminded of how you rose from the grave and you defeated sin and death and Lord it is because you rose and you had victory Lord that you will share that victory with those who will place their faith in you. And Lord I pray that that is a description of each of us here tonight that we've all placed our faith in you that we've all asked you to take our sin problem Lord and to wash us to cleanse us, to forgive us as we place our hope and faith in you. Lord, lead and guide our time of celebration, even tomorrow as we take time to remember, Lord, I pray that uh, you would be honored in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts, in our every life, in our every day. Lead us and guide us, I pray. May we be faithful soldiers going forth Marines, sailors, uh, Lord, uh, really just those commissioned to go forth with a message and to declare it to the world around us. May we be bold in doing so. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.